Support for To The Point comes from Bausch & Lomb. Beautiful and healthy looking eyes? It shouldn't be a compromise. Lumify Eye Illuminations, developed by the experts at Bausch & Lomb exclusively for the sensitive eye area. To cleanse, nourish, and brighten. Lumify Eye Illuminations, only in the eye care aisle. Ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested and specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Welcome to another episode of the To The Point Podcast. My name is Jackie Garlick, and I am joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell, and we are thrilled to introduce you to our guest today, Dr. Elena Carter. She is a native to Buffalo, New York, and graduated from Pennsylvania College of Optometry in 1999. She is a former major in the United States Army, and she currently works at Kenner Army Health Clinic in Fort Lee, Virginia. She enjoys working with cutting-edge optometric practices to best serve our active duty and veteran populations, and she specializes in anterior segment disease and disorders. Thank you so much, Elena, for being here. Welcome. Hi. I'm very excited to be part of this. This is the first podcast that I have ever done, so this is really unique for me, too. Um, I have worked most of my career on the federal side at different military installations. Um, I am prior service with the Army. Um, I was in the Army for 14 years. Um, I got out of the Army in 2013 and uh, switched over to the civilian side. So I currently work at Fort Lee uh, Kenner Army Health Clinic in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And I have been here since the early part of 2017. Um, And so working at this installation is a little bit different. in that uh, the the type of people that we get here is a little bit different than some other installations. And so we encounter different kinds of uh, difficulties and different types of diseases that have been very applicable to using amniotic membranes. Um, We've been using amniotic membranes here for about a year to a year and a half. And I've used them on many, many different types of situations that I've encountered and and the uh, hospital that I work in now. Um, So I think that, well, Jackie, I know, um, also has some military in her background with the National Guard. And the only thing that I did was my residency in the Baltimore VA. So I can appreciate the red tape that you're speaking to. Um, I know it was always interesting to see new things come to light, but then a challenge to get them, you know, through the hurdles of a VA system anyway. So, um, Anyway, I thought maybe you could talk a little bit just about how you had to make the case for amniotics, if you even had to do that, because again, that was probably 20 years ago for me, so maybe things have changed. <laughs> so it was it was rather difficult. Um, you know, really, amniotic membranes is something that's very unknown to a lot of people who are on the military side, as far as like routine uses in eye care. So uh, we had to, of course, explore what was available to us and how we can improve upon that. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's always with any kind of government installation, there's the cost factor. So we had to say, hey, this would be beneficial cost-wise for long-term use on, on these individuals to basically keep them in service. So um, you know, we encounter difficulties 
with people not being able to perform their functions because of whatever disease or trauma that they encountered. And so, you know, we had to make the case for them that, hey, this would shorten the time and give us better outcomes. And so the cost benefit ratio was really something that we had to push through. Uh, once we got them to understand that, and they, and they were going a little bit blind on, you know, what we were saying, we we're saying, hey, this is really something that's beneficial and going to be beneficial to, to our population here. Um, then they were much more apt to say, okay, you know, let's go ahead and do this. And then, you know, our usage there kind of proved that what we were saying was beneficial to the population. So, um, you know, it was really kind of, you know, going through the red tape and, um, you know, showing them, hey, this would be very beneficial to us. So once we got to that point, they were much more to let us kind of fly with it. So I, I feel like that's just the hurdle is like getting whoever to sign off on this paperwork and then things can like happen. Like you just need to go through all of that red tape and then it seems a little bit easier. But we're using amniotic membranes before you were because well actually my first question is is you're you know doing you're you're an optometrist on a military base but practicing as, as a civilian you know right Correct. so anyone actually get a job on a military base they don't have to be in the military to get on to get that job and were you then before you were working on this base using amniotic membranes in whatever practice you modality you were in before so when I, but right before I came to um, Fort Lee, I was actually working at the VA that was here in Richmond. And I was very, very fortunate there that I worked with many different ophthalmologists and different specialties. And one of them that I worked with was a corneal specialist. And they were using a different type of amniotic membrane um, and very, very sparingly at that time. So, you know, I had some exposure on that end of it, but I was really eager to bring it into our practices here. Um, so that, that was really the push through and, and, you know, with the memory that they were using there, I, I didn't feel it was quite as effective as effective as the memory we're using now. So I will just say, you know, first, I think one of the first hurdles, whether you're working in a military, um, setting or you're a private practice owner is the hurdle to bring in anything new. You know, the private practitioner, sometimes if you're the practice owner, I always tell Jackie, like we're in our own way. We have to change what we're thinking and just get out of our way so that we can bring in these new technologies. Or, you know, sometimes if you have associate doctors and you're trying to get them to be doing newer treatments, that can also be a hurdle. But then the other thing is just learning about the technology. So, for me, um, you know, I was practicing in an integrated setting when we had the first frozen membrane with Procara, and there was not that much really being explored at the time around ocular surface. Um, for, for those patients, I really thought of, you know, ulcers or chemical burns or something along those lines. Then I transitioned um, into a private practice that was focused more on dry eye. And that's kind of when I had my first exposure to dehydrated membranes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm not actually, I think there's so many dehydrated membranes now, I probably couldn't even name them all. But at the time, there were very few to choose from. And I myself got a little bit gun shy. Um, a, my ophthalmologist although I was capable, didn't want me to be using Procara. So I had no experience yet with Procara. Um, and then I went right to the dehydrated, but I didn't know that some of these membranes are preserved with um, 
chemicals and even antibiotics like gentamicin. So I had a few acute red eyes come back that really made me gun shy at the beginning. You know, I placed the membrane, I placed the bandage contact, they looked great. And then literally with one patient even called me the same day saying they were having this redness starting, but usually it'd be like a day after I placed it that they came back with this acute red eye. Um, so talk a little bit about maybe not necessarily calling out brands, but just what your experience was when you were working with the cornea specialist and just, you know, what barriers you saw with, with that particular membrane. Yeah. So the, the membrane that I had used before was the Procara. And, um, you know, the big thing is that the population there, so I was working at the VA, so the population there was an older population that had a lot of other difficulties health-wise. And so getting them to tolerate the Procara, that was, that was a big issue. Um, and so they were very resistant to it. And we really didn't use a whole lot because of that. Um, they were much more into using like, you know, just chemical prophylaxis and things, you know, artificial tears and some other things like that. Um, you know, them really using the Procara, that was kind of, you know, something that was like a last resort. And we didn't do a lot of them, mostly because of the patient's resistance. Um, so when we came to Fort Lee, you know, we went to the, the dehydrated um, amniotic membranes. And, you know, that has worked very, very well. Um, you know, a lot of it is setting expectations for the patient, as I'm sure you have too. You know, as I've learned, as I've gone along and say, you know, hey, look, this is what it's going to feel like. And once I set those reasonable expectations, um, you know, really a lot of people have adapted to it very, very well. A lot of my patients are very grateful once they get through those, that first day of, hey, it feels like there's something in my eye. But it wasn't to the point of, you know, some of these patients with the Procara where it really was uncomfortable, really had to tape that eye shut because it was so uncomfortable for them. So um, I have found a lot of, lot more success and a lot more patient tolerance with using the dehydrated lenses or um, membranes. <laughs> Jackie, I wasn't sure how much um, experience you had with Procara, but you know they came a long way. I never used the original ones, which I think were really harder for patients to tolerate, but mm -hmm. I have now placed um, several slim in the past year and a half and with the proper tape and the proper patient. So for me, my dry eye patient, unless maybe I'm really pushing for surgery has not been my patient candidate for Procara. I've used it um, on a chemical injury um, and I've used it on a recurrent erosion. And, you know, when the patient's in a lot of distress, that taping the lid and tolerating the ring seems to not be so bad, but I totally agree. If you're using it for ocular surface, sometimes you're taking that eye out of commission um, and that's hard on the patients, but I wasn't sure what kind of, you know, experience you've had, Jackie. Yeah, I, I've had um, a lot more experience with the dehydrated membrane personally. I've had a little experience with the Procara. I have not, I had the experience I've had with it, it was the first generation. So I, I didn't have, you know, the best experience with it from a patient comfort perspective, as you're saying, Elena. And, and um, I, I do think, I mean, there's studies that will talk about the differences in terms of the efficacy from a cryopreserved versus a dehydrated membrane. And, you know, that, that can maybe be uh, another podcast. I feel like we could probably do another podcast on the differences between those, but I certainly think they're, they're both beneficial. And in terms of patient 
willingness. I mean, I'm thinking, I have a patient right now, Leslie, you and I've talked about this patient before, but I finally got her to agree to let me put a membrane on her. And I, she would, I think like lose it if I put a Procare in her. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a dehydrated membrane on her, but I, I think patient selection is, is really, you know, valuable. And I, I honestly think it's, it's less uncomfortable with a dehydrate. I mean, yes, you're taking that eye out of commission, but that's similar to a Procara, probably not as much. So. Well, I don't think you're really, you know, the blur factor, they maybe drop two or three lines. It's not, you know, it's not that significant. And, but depending um, on the person, like I'm putting this in like, you know, um, an engineer, I'm putting this in attorneys. I'm putting this in finance people. This is all my people, like all yeah. the financial district people. So you know, when I put this on, they're like, oh yeah, that is really blurry. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. But, um, so I think it's all, <laughs> if I did this to my 80 year old, they'd be like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they wouldn't be as yeah, you're right about it. So kind of depends on the person, but well, I want to, I'd like to talk about what you said and, and definitely get Alina's perspective on this too, which is you finally got your patient to agree. So what have been the challenges of patient willingness, you know, when you have that conversation about what you want to do next and you kind of explain what amniotic tissue grafts are, you know, what kind of things do your patients say and what kind of things do you say back to kind of help them get over that fear? Because it's really just fear of the unknown, probably from the patient side of things. Yeah. Elena, why don't you start with that? That's a good question. So my patient population is a little bit different in that most of the people I'm dealing with is soldiers. And so, you know, I've used the amniotic membranes from everything from EKC to we had an acute hemorrhagic conjunctivitis to I've had corneal limbal melts that I've used them on. So when these patients come in and say, hey, this is what we're going to do, um, they're kind of like, okay, great. You know, they don't really give me too much resistance, partially because they're so uncomfortable to begin with that if they're taken out of training for too long, that is very problematic for them. Um, so, you know, if we go ahead and do one eye at a time, even though they may be slightly uncomfortable, they, they have basically a contact lens on their eye and they can still go through what they need to go through for their training. Um, and so I haven't encountered the same type of resistance um, that perhaps someone would in a private practice. They come into me, by the time that they come into me, they're, they're in bad shape. I mean, their, their cornea is just completely chewed up. Um, you know, we're talking multiple infiltrates, vision of, you know, 2,100 or worse. I mean, they're, they're in dire straits by the time they get into me. So it's like, hey, this is what we're going to do. Or the, the flip side, they're so uncomfortable, um, you know, if I have someone who's got like a filamentary keratitis that, they, you know, they've gone through to having, you know, that picked off their cornea so many times. They're just, you know, hey, put me out of my misery. Let's go ahead and do this. So I really haven't had the resistance um, you know, as I said, that someone wouldn't like on a private practice, they're like, hey, is this going to help me? Is this going to get me back to where I need to be quicker and, and make me more comfortable? And once they get through that first day or two, they are much more comfortable. Um, and by the time they come back into me to have that bandaged contact lens removed, their vision is usually improved significantly. So they're quite happy to get through it quicker. I, I think that that's exactly right. Like, like your, your patients that are really miserable and have like really significant acute things or take zero convincing, those patients are, are like just in, in need help and they will take any help that you're offering. This is more the resistance that I ever hear with a patient is like um, that, you know, they're going to be 
blurry in that eye is usually the biggest thing. And what I end up doing, and these are also not people with like super acute problems. These are like chronic dry eye. That's just like recalcitrant to whatever we're doing. And so I'm like, let's just, you know, take an amniotic membrane step. And so though for the, for me, those patients, I'm like, okay, well, how I just have to, I just have to walk them through what we need to do. And can we do it on a Friday then? And then you'll have the weekend and then we can see you on a Monday and remove the bandage lens. Or can we do it on a day where you don't have a ton of trial or trials to do, you know, like it, we just, you just have right. to like work with it. It really yeah. just depends on, on your patient and like the level of like acuteness of the problem is what my right. need for something like NK or, um, you know, resistant keratitis, you have that luxury. You can talk to them and bring them back. Whereas, you know, when you're in that urgent situation, you don't have that luxury. So I have had a couple where it wasn't so acute. I actually had one today, actually, who was, um, a uh, uh, recurrent herpetic keratitis oh, who had God. scarring and, and, and I know poor guy and and his vision wasn't you know horrible 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 but it certainly was affected and when you looked at it, it was you know just a lot of you know strong scarring and things like that and I said hey look let's give this let's give this a try you know worst case we're about where we are best case we get some better and it remodels you know some of that scarring that's already occurred and let's see if we can get a better handle on this and, and he was all for it he was like, let's do it. And I said, Hey, you want to talk about this this morning? He goes, no, let's do it. You know, I mean, he was like, yep, I'll, I'll, I'll for it. But you know, as I said, my population is a little bit different in that, you know, as I said, when I see them, they're, they're usually just absolutely miserable. They're just help me, you know? So this kind of brings up a good point actually is like, you know, we're, I, I feel like I learned doing an amniotic membrane is like a last ditch effort to help a patient. And really it doesn't have to be that way. Like it doesn't have to be this like horrible chemical burn that we're putting an amniotic membrane on. We can, we put these on our dry eye patients to try to jumpstart our process. It certainly isn't going to heal the dry eye, but it will certainly give a leg up on treatment. But sure. one thing that I think is probably not something you have to worry about Elena, cause I guess everyone's on TRICARE there, but is, I is the coverage you know, and like what the insurance will pay for this. And I know Leslie, you and I have spoken about this before. I don't have as many Medicare patients as you do, but I, my process in my office is I have, if I have someone, I want to put a membrane on, I'm sending a Slack message to my front desk and, or to my billing, um, and saying like, Hey, I, I want to put a membrane on this person. What does that look like from their health insurance side? Like, is this all going to deductible? What is the rule? What is the deal? And so sometimes they can tell me pretty quickly what the deal is. Um, and sometimes we just have to talk about it. And I certainly don't want to surprise someone with this like $1,600 uh, amniotic membrane bill that they weren't aware of. But Leslie, talk about your experience with um, Medicare patients. I feel like it's very brave of you to say, let me put this on your eye on a Friday and I'll take it out on Monday because I do the total opposite. I'm always, if I'm seeing those patients that I know I can schedule back and it's Friday, I'm always like, how about we bring you in next Monday and I'll have all week in case you have a problem versus me having to maybe come in um, for some, but, but I will say that is because of what I said with my first experience with the dehydrated membranes. I still have PTSD over those patients and I have yet knock on wood to have this happen. Um, we're actually, when we're using dehydrated and I know Alina, I think you are as well using Apollo. Yes. Um, yes. 
and I haven't had this happen at all. So I, I sometimes do get a little brave and do the Friday to Monday. Well, the <laughs> I do Friday because I'm trying to help them. Oh, I, I get what you're doing. I'm just saying it was very brave of you. I give them my cell phone. So like, if there's an issue, I'm just, I just tell them to call me and I'll, I'll see them. So that has happened one time where I had a patient call me on um, a Sunday and I came in um, and the membrane had totally dissolved. Well, I'm actually going to now check out your Google reviews, um, Jackie, to, <laughs> say, to see if it says Dr. Garlic is so amazing. She comes in on the weekends all the time. And then I see you're planting your five stars. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I give myself an out pretty, I do it pretty often actually. Find that people- no, I mean, that speaks to the ease, right? And you can do it and you're only getting, you get a rare yeah. callback, like that's amazing because that is not my early days of dehydrated membrane. So kudos <laughs> to technology moving us forward. Um, Medicare is pretty easy. Um, and obviously that population of patients is where I'm running into a lot of NK. Um, and so it's been really nice because I can do exactly what you're saying. I can jumpstart the healing of the cornea and um, they're tolerating it very well. Um, and there's been very little resistance. So I just really have to coach those patients. And, and maybe you would say this for your younger patients, but I really have to coach those patients not to rub. And I yes. think because their lids are like a little looser, um, I just, I have had a few displaced bandage contact lenses that, um, you know, it was from, I think, just lid dynamics and rubbing. So we always, I say, you don't really need to put any drops in until I see you back, unless you're using a lubricant. I don't know, actually, if either of you are going, are doing um, antibiotic drop because there's, you know, sleeping in a bandage lens, but I haven't been doing that. So I'm always kind of wondering if I should be. I don't. I don't. Either. I've done steroids with them. Yeah. So I usually just say, limit your drops um, and try not to rub. And then normally it's nice that it's, you know, just the bandage lens when I'm seeing them back. But Medicare, you know, as far as the patient population is easy because it's a covered service, there's no global period. So actually the patients that I've done the most membranes on, I've kind of have on this six month rotation where, you know, when things start to get worse again, we go back to that um, and that they've been tolerating it really well. So are there insurances that do give a lot of resistance and how do you overcome that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so this is my process and I'm sure there's other you know ways to do this, but I, I like I said, I messaged my billing um, uh, person who will look at insurance really quickly and tell me if something is right away, just going to go to deductible. And then I try to be, I explain to them what the deal is. And I, I try to be creative because usually people are like, Ooh, $1,600. Like, I don't know. you know, so, um, I find that it's less so that there's, but once we have done the work on the front end to know what the deal is with the insurance or if it's going to be covered, I do think they may, might have to call. I'm like, not that knowledgeable in this area. Cause I have another, someone else who's doing it. But sure. once, once you do the work on the front end, to just know whether it's going to deductible or you, you know, I don't know, it's a covered service or not. Uh, I've not had issues with them paying out on them as long as you know that going going in. So you just have to do your work on the before it you before you do it. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. I'm deductibles are the biggest challenge with the private 
um, pay, but the patients know that, right? They, they select these plans with high deductibles. And so they are prepared to pay out of pocket because they're used to paying medical bills more so than a Medicare patient, right? A Medicare patient at the beginning of the year is one of the more challenging patients because they're used to not having to pay. Um, and so until they meet their deductible, sometimes that's a challenging time. But I think that that deductible, and then the other thing is just making sure that you're coding it right. Um, that's where you're gonna sometimes get some issues. So just knowing when membranes are supported, um, and that's easy to find, you know, the, the companies even provide these billing codes, but, but my kind of rundown is neurotrophic keratitis, filamentary keratitis, you know, persistent keratitis, and then all of the things that you said, Elena, about, you know, urgent reasons for using membranes and um, ulcers and herpes and all of those things. But when you're thinking about how you're going to integrate it into your dry eye practice, you really need to know those codes because if you don't bill properly, insurance is going to deny you. Yeah, they, they will. The companies are pretty good about giving you you know, what you need, because they want you to be successful also. So you can certainly, you know, pick whatever company you want to kind of start out with, which, which actually I have a question for both of you, like what, you know, so if we have listeners who are like, maybe I want to try an amniotic membrane, how do I get started doing that? What, what, how did you guys do it? I mean, Elena, you said you were working with a cornea specialist and my experience is very similar. I was also working with a cornea specialist and he helped me do my first Procara. Um, but do you guys have recommendations on like how someone who isn't working with a specialist would get started with them with placing these? So we just reached out to a company. Um, we reached out to Apollo and uh, they were very good at working with us and coming in and speaking with us so that we could present something to have this approved by TRICARE in our facility. Um, we were very fortunate in that there was another location that had already had TRICARE approved amniotic membranes. So we followed along in their suit. So the way the, the government side works is if one installation has it approved, then you can kind of jump on the bandwagon and say, hey, look, they are doing it over there, you know, even if it's you know, another part of the world. Um, and, you know, we can, it makes it a little bit easier to push through, um, which is what we did. Uh, so, you know, we, we reached reach out to Apollo with us. Yeah, and I actually did, when I opened my clinic um, a year and a half ago, I was unfamiliar with that brand of dehydrated uh, membrane. And again, was still in shock from some past experience, but my office manager had been using it. She worked in a practice with a cornea specialist and she said, I think you should really give this a try. So she actually did the outreach to her, the rep that had been calling on that office that she came to me from and, you know, got it in for us. And then my burning question is when you're when you're placing it, do you do you do a three-step message map um, a three-step approach? And I would say like dry the cornea with the Wexel sponge, place your membrane, and then place your bandage contact lens, or are you putting your membrane into the bandage lens and then onto the eye? I place my membrane directly into the contact lens and then place the whole lens and membrane in the eye. Mm -hmm. um, is how, how I do that. Yeah. I had another dehydrated membrane that I was using that wasn't Apollo. And, um, I did the first way that you said, so I dried the cornea 
put the membrane on and then put the bandage contact lens on, but I don't do it that way anymore. I do it how Elena does it. I put my membrane in my bandage lens because um, I don't want to use a lid speculum and I don't want to bring a technician in and try to hold these the lids open for me. So I think that's easier to do it that way. That's me personally. It does take a little, you know, getting used to the tissue is like so flimsy and it curls right away when you get it out of the package, there's a little learning curve to it. But, um, but yeah, I think reaching out to a rep can certainly get that process going for you. So do you I do it. I do it the first way. I have a, I do have an assistant though that holds the lids open. So I don't need to use a lid speculum. And we kind of do the three step that I've said first, but my question, cause I have watched the videos and, you know, had some training. Um, but do you dry the inside of the contact out? No, you leave it. I wet. do not. I leave it wet. Um, I pull it out of the package with like a, a flat spatula um, forcep and place it directly in. So basically I line up the first edge and just lay it right down. And then I have some wet cells so that if there's any kind of movement or an air bubble, then I can just easily move that down. And that, and that keeps it from dehydrating or curling up. So I just do it very quickly, pull it out, place it right in, and then take the, the bandage lens and place it right on the eye. I also don't dry the lens. I just pop, I obviously dump the solution. And then like I put it, I, use it, I think if there's, I probably learned this from the video. I put it right on top of my foil top, basically my open foil top. So I set it up like that, but I don't dry out the inside. I leave it the way it is. I know I do, but do you use a certain diameter lens? Do you find that certain lenses work better? What's your trick there? This is a great question. I actually want to get a larger diameter lens because I feel like the one that I have right now, which I cannot remember the size off the top of my head, but I feel like it's too small. I actually want to get a larger diameter one. I forget what I have now, 13, eight, or I don't know how big it is. So I have the 10, the 12 and the 14. And I thought initially, <laughs> I've always said this, and I thought initially that I would use more of the 10. And I found very quickly that I liked, like what you're saying, I like the 12 and the 14, um, especially when I'm dealing with somebody like the filamentary keratitis or like with the, the corneal limbal melt, I really wanted that larger membrane. I really wanted it to completely cover that cornea. And, uh, and actually what I found was my struggle with this was I had to find a contact lens that I really liked to stay on there that was large enough to cover yeah. everything. Right, because um, I'm looking for this 14-2 diameter. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but you're kind of limited in what you yeah, have yeah. as options. Right, exactly. And so, you know, one of the lenses that I like to use as a bandage contact lens is the air optics, just simply because it's a little bit of a heftier lens. It's easier for me to handle. It stays in there, but it's a 13-8. So, you know, with the 14 millimeters, I was like, well, that's not going to work. We need to use something else that's a little bit bigger. So I have this coverage so it's more stable. Um, so I, I find most of the time that, you know, as I said, when I'm dealing with, you know, I deal with a lot of these viruses because of the population that I'm working with, you know, um, these, you know, enteroviruses that we had. And then of course we had the big episode of EKC, um, you know, things like that, that, you know, using the 12 millimeter worked fine. That worked well, you know, we're dealing with a lot of infiltrates in the cornea, but with some of these other things, I, I'm with you. I really like that larger diameter lens um, or membrane. I keep saying lens, membrane, but I find the one that I really don't go to a lot is the 10 millimeter. 
It just yeah, isn't large enough. Twelve. Yeah, I think my go-to has been the 12. And I've been using a ProClear, a ProClear lens because I think it is this 14-2 diameter. But um, anyway, I just wondered if I could be doing anything better. I'm always trying to be better. So I must have, I must have a 10 or maybe I have a 12 millimeter, but I do want it to be larger. But what, so then Elena, what lens are you using for your large diameter membrane? Right. So, you know, I've done the same thing that I've gone to like a Biofinity, which is a 14 or um, some of the other lenses that we have in the clinic where they were like a little bit larger, a 14 too. And so I really didn't care that much about the prescription. I'm not going to put a minus seven on them because that's going to make them miserable. But, you know, if it's, you know, a plus 50 or a minus 50, I wasn't too concerned about that because they're going to be a little blurred up from the, the amniotic membrane to begin with. But something that would really cover all the way, you know, over the limbus and really keep that membrane a little bit more stable. I didn't want that membrane sticking out on the edge. And then, of course, them blinking and catching that. And uh, that was going to be irritating to the eye. But... Um, you know, I, I found that worked very well. I, I was very happy and very surprised at, at how well some of these other conditions responded to it. Um, you know, it really worked well once I got it over that limbus. So I was very pleased. I'm just looking here because like all of, I think a lot of the toric lenses are 14.5 millimeter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? So it probably makes the case for maybe using one of those, even though those, I don't know if they have bandage lens approval, but you know, FDA approval for bandage lens. I think that's just the Oasis, right? And night and day or something. Uh, yes. This was a great talk. Thank you so much for coming on, Elena. This was uh, very helpful to kind of hear your opinion on amniotic membranes. Um, yeah. Any like last thoughts we want to leave everybody with? I would say it's definitely something to explore in your practice. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for patients that can be addressed with the amniotic membranes. And then of course, reaching out to the companies themselves to find ways to, to work with these patients' insurances to have this covered. Because I think really it's, you know, this regenerative medicine, when it comes to a lot of these conditions is really groundbreaking and, and a good approach to take with all these people with these chronic, chronic conditions. Um, so I, I would definitely encourage people to look into it and explore those options. Thanks so much again, Elena, for, for joining us on this podcast and for all of your um, information on your practice and how you use your amniotic membranes. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And now for the to the point wrap up. Remember when exploring new technologies such as dehydrated amniotic membrane tissue graft and cryopreserved amniotic membrane tissue graft, it's important to really educate yourself and any practice that you might work with what the advantage is to the patient. This is one area where we can make a big impact on patient outcomes in a short amount of time. Be thinking about amniotic tissue grafts for patients with infectious conditions of the cornea, toxic conditions of the cornea, and even things like chronic dry eye and neurotrophic keratitis. 